Welcome to the Young Indie Chroniclers, a podcast about the making of the show, The Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, which first aired on ABC in 1992. I kept thinking about what was Indiana Jones like as a young man. I came up with this idea of him seeing the world through the eyes of a soldier and a secret agent. Over the course of our podcast, we're going to talk to a whole host of very talented people who either worked on this show or were there from the beginning. We were able to shoot it on location in the real places where these events took place. Oh, make it up as you go. Oh boy, that's great advice. We hired some of the best European directors, a whole host of very, very talented people. I'm your host, Peter Holmstrom. And I'm Daniel Noah. And this is the Young Indie Chroniclers. There's only one rule in China. Stay alive. Welcome to our very first episode of the Young Indie Chroniclers. Uh, I'm your host, Peter Holmstrom, and with me here is my very good friend, uh, Daniel Noah. Daniel, how are you doing? Man? I'm doing great, Peter. How are you? Doing okay. We, ha- we had a little bit of internet snafus, as, as everyone has to have uh, for the first episode of the podcast, but we're here now. We're going to be... Uh, Talking about young indie. We're just making it up um, as we go, right? That's <laughs> what we want to do with this very first episode is, or maybe it's not even best to call it the first episode. Maybe it's more of like a, an extended preview, I guess, or, or a, a prologue almost. You know, we're we're going. We felt it was important to kind of go over some of the some of the ground rules. That's not the right word. Kind of uh, lay the groundwork, I guess, for what we're going to be talking about in this series because. The Young Indiana Jones Chroniclers is, or Young Indiana Jones Chronicles is a uh, TV show that maybe some people have heard about, maybe some people have even been fans at some point, um, but aren't as familiar with it as uh, some other franchises, Star Wars, Star Trek, etc. Um, so we kind of wanted to talk about, uh, you know, re- re- do a refresher course. Well, let's set the scene, right? So, you know, in 1989, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade is released in the summer. It's a big hit. And I think one of the things people still remember about that movie is the opening, which follows this young, you know, this child version of Indiana Jones. And it's a great, fun sequence. And clearly, you know, even just, just from an outsider's perspective, this, this sticks with George Lucas, right? He, he does this. He, ta- he, he takes away a, a, maybe, a, maybe an interest or a passion. And within three years from, from that release on television, we get... The Young Indiana Jones Chronicles. So, Peter, tell tell the audience what was that beginning like? You know, how did it? How did the show begin? What was the start like? It's 1992. Set that scene. It's 1992. Yeah. So, the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles. Uh, it's gone through many different names over the course of its of its run. Um, it premieres though on March 4th, 1992, with a 90 minute pilot episode on ABC. Which I think is important to note is that ABC wasn't actually owned by Disney at that point. So this was a uh, uh, this was it came out on ABC. Um, it was a two hour pilot, and George Lucas really wanted to explore what the origins were of this character, Indiana Jones. Before the world discovered Indiana Jones, a young Indiana Jones discovered the world. George Lucas presents the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles. And when looking back, I think it, it's really easy to look at this show in particular as being more so than Star Wars, I think more so than, you know, definitely more so than Howard the Duck. I think this was very much a, uh, a passion project for him. Yes. Um, he was really uh, into, um, he had spent a lot of the 80s kind of developing the, uh, the, the Education Foundation, the Lucasfilm Education Foundation, which was uh, a very big thing at the time for him. He was putting a lot of money into 
um, into the education aspect of, of society in a way that I think a lot of film studios would never think about doing. And he saw this as an opportunity to talk about the things that he loved growing up, which was history, which was uh, different aspects of the world in a way that um, a lot of shows at the time and definitely today are uh, not doing as much. Well, you touched um, on something very important there, too, is just education. I think people yeah. going into the series in 1992 and maybe now if you find it on streaming, you know, you might have an assumption that you're going to get some version of the Indiana Jones films, right? Which are sort of yeah. high adventure, high action. And there's a little bit of that in the show and there's some tonal similarities. But education, history, the show, unlike the films, every episode relates to some real historical event or, or figure or situation. Yeah. And that's that that educational foundation passion that you were just talking about, you know, he almost approaches this as, you know, a lesson, weirdly. It's like each story is almost a lesson. And I think there was an early version of the of the title of the show. Maybe it was like sort of history with Indiana Jones or something like that, right? I think you're right, yeah. And I, and when we, you, the audiences at the time would have seen the first episode, they would have been introduced to the, the format of the show. Um, the series itself loosely has two different timelines to it. Uh, it has two protagonists. It has a Indiana Jones from ages five to nine, played by Corey Carrier, uh, and that uh, took place between 1905 and 1909. And then you have Indiana or Indy in his teenage years, um, set between 1916 and 1920. Um, and this teenage uh, Indy was played by Sean Platt, Sean Patrick Flannery, um, who uh, throughout the series was in World War One. He was also in British intelligence. He was also, you know, throughout the series, Indy is crossing paths with a lot of big historical figures. And so they were figuring out ways to naturally put that into the stories. And so I think it's interesting because there's a narrative, right? Like this is a very episodic show. Every episode, there's, there's only one other, well, there's a handful of minor supporting characters that are scattered throughout. But for the most part, every episode is a new story with a new cast, except for Indiana Jones. However, if you step back and you look at the whole thing from a sort of a macro level, there is this epic story. It's ben, almost Ben-Hur-esque or something where yes. it's like cause he's he's lost. He's sort of cast into the world and, and fumbles his way almost from, you know, one part of the world, literally, to the other and, and eventually does make his way back home. But over a period of years, you know, the Odyssey yeah. comes to mind, right? Like Odysseus goes off to point. Troy, goes yeah. off to war, and then he has to get home and it's years later, you know? So yeah. it's it's weird and it's very George Lucas to be like, I'm gonna make an episodic show, but there's also gonna be this like overall narrative and everything has its place and, and everything has its sequence of events. And I think it might've made the show perhaps difficult for some people to digest, especially on broadcast television, the way it was released. But I think now when you have the benefit of being able to look at it, you, you get a sense of the story of young Indiana Jones and it's, it's pretty amazing. It really is. I, I think um, the original run of the show is something I'd like to talk about in a minute. But like the early, the first episode actually was a huge rating smash. Like it, it got over 20 million viewers on on its first night. And it was done as a two-part episode. Half of the episode had Corey Carrier. The other half had Sean Patrick Flannery as kind of a, and a linking narrative to it. But the other thing to point out too is they had a... a a bookend uh, a format at, in its original run, which had a 93-year-old Indiana Jones set in the present day um, 
kind of in a uh, grandparents telling their stories from their past to to the younger generations type type aspect in each episode he would you know ha- there would be some contrived circumstance to get him to start relating this story of his past and there was uh you know it's it's it, in a way it's a very kind of 1990s approach to things it has kind of a, a quaintness now looking back at it but um as time went on george i think grew to kind of not dislike, but maybe just think like, maybe we just don't need this aspect. And so the current versions you'll find on the air today won't actually have these old indie bookends. And I think it's worth saying, if you're listening to this, you might be, a, you might have seen the show and you might be a fan of those. And a lot of people are a fan of those versions. I'm not one of them. And, and Peter could certainly share his opinions. I will yeah. say, I think what hurts them is the execution. They feel yeah. cheap and they feel a little kitschy. I think yeah. the idea, and in fact, the most powerful idea of it is, is if you're a child, it's 1992 and you're, you're 10, you know, this idea that your grandparents lived a life and maybe a life you don't know about and you should ask them about it because it, maybe it's, it's fantastic and you should, like, I think that's a great idea. And I think that yeah. I totally see why he thought of it. But the show, and you know, we'll talk about it a little more, but it's so cinematic, it's so beautifully shot, the sound design is perfect. And somehow those bookends they feel like they come from a cheaper show and really it do. hurts yeah. the whole thing. You know, you get this beautiful European film, you know, Indiana Jones is in Paris and then suddenly we're in North Carolina and it's like too sunny and the clothing is <laughs> all pastel and it's just like, Oh yeah. no, no. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it's such a great point too. you bring up is that like this show was shot all over the world in a way that has never really been seen in, in television since. I mean, you even look at like Game of Thrones or whatever, and they might have an international filming locations, but they have like three different filming locations and that's it. This show, every single episode actually went to the locations where they were set at, whether it's France, Africa, uh, you know, Kenya, Morocco, Egypt, I mean, uh, China. I mean, they're going literally to these locations to film. And this isn't just like second unit filming, you know, like they might do in like a, a you know, murder she wrote episode or something like that like this this is like the whole crew and the whole cast in that episode are actually going to these locations and it became this epic undertaking that george at the time he was experimenting with this idea of like in kind of like a hitchcock psycho kind of way like what if how can we do an epic scope on a very limited tight budget tight filming and and still make it very cinematic so the show it was shot in 16 millimeter, which is, you know, a little bit of a, of a, you know, allows for a lighter crew, but it still it has just immensely high production values and, and is such a complex show to make. And, I, you know, and I'm a fan of digital cinematography, but I think they do benefit from the look of the 16 millimeter film, especially it is a, sh- a period show. It's set in the past and there is something about that texture and that almost yeah. that lack of resolution that's there that, that draws you in, you know, and, uh, you know, to your point, they travel to locations that they don't even do in the Indiana Jones movies. Like, like oh, yeah. we, we go to Egypt in the first episode and there we go to the pyramids and the, the, the two principal actors are there. They don't do that in Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know, no. they, they didn't. So it's like, even though it's TV, it's 4.3, it's 16 millimeter. And in some ways it is cheaper, right? It's ambition is is just as big, if not larger than the films. And, you know, if I only, you know, you kind of imagine a world where digital cameras existed and they were able to shoot this in HD or 4K, you know, they probably wouldn't have made it any differently. They just, it just would be in higher resolution. 
Yeah. Well, and it's also worth pointing out in, in terms of the changing times, this was also George experimenting with different forms of technology that became hugely important in the history of cinema going forward. This He was utilizing computers to turn, you know, uh, a group of 12 soldiers into 120. Uh, he was using computers to, they would do a lot of match, not match shots. Um, well, they would do composite shots. Composite shots. Composite shots. They would do yeah. match shots, but composite shots is what I'm looking for, where they'll take a part of a city, they'll remove part of it digitally, and then re recreate 1914 or 1918 uh, 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 cityscapes uh, that way. And uh, the look of the show is feels so authentic. Um, in, in a way that just remains unmatched today. This does create a problem, though, and this is, I think, one of the other reasons why we're doing this, this podcast, is that a lot of the visual effects shots, which there were many, um, were done in standard definition, which was uh, common at the time. This is something that Star Trek did. This is something that most science fiction shows did at the time, where they would uh, often be like editing within a VHS tape because it was just more expedient and you could just get things on the air quicker. Because at the time, you know, standard def was all we had. Um, and the problem now is that we want things in HD, we want things in 4K, and and this show is a bit more of a hurdle to do a proper transfer of, and it takes a big fan base to really get people Well, to... and un, unlike the Star Trek, like Next Generation, which they were able to redo in HD, you know, those were all largely model work, which means it was yeah. largely shot on film, and, and you could go rescan that film, and you could do that. Whereas to your point, you know, this was all done in its state of the art at the time, you know, tape workflows, digital tape, but still tape. And that means there is no higher quality original. You know, if, if they yeah. did a digital map painting of a, of a city and then they shot a plate, you know, of some characters, yes, they would be in 16 millimeter film, but everything else you're looking at only existed at standard definition. It was created in the computer and then stored on tape. You would have yeah. to recreate that from scratch. and. You know, when you're talking about, it's one thing to CG a very famous spaceship that we have a lot of reference for and, and people could really right. nail. But who is to say that you want to recreate a matte painting, a painter made of a city in 1993, you're literally just going to repaint it. That feels yeah. a little bit like, you know, repainting the Mona Lisa. Like you can't just go right. in and repaint something because you need it in higher resolution. Like, you know, it's not the same work. It's not. And what... A possible solution could be for this in terms of getting a, a good Blu-ray release or 4K release is a question mark, and that's something I think both of us are interested in finding out as, as we go on this this process. Um, anyway, that was but a bit to, of a tangent, but to your, though, but to your I, point, if if yeah. you're listening and you want to watch the show now um, while we're recording this, it is available on Disney Plus. You do have to turn your parental controls off. We can talk about that, but <laughs> yeah. but uh, but it is there in standard definition. I will say it, it yeah. looks about as good as it's ever looked, but that is the highest quality available. There's a there's a very good yeah. DVD set that came yeah. out in the late 2000s, which you can there are copies floating around. I have a set. I think Peter has a set too. Yeah. Um, and then of course there was a VHS release in the late 90s. I think in 1999. Uh, and I imagine there were there was probably like international VHS in the early 90s. I feel like that was common then, and we didn't really get that here in the United States. Um, so there is a history, and actually you've touched on this, where you know you talked about how the show was originally released with these bookends. Uh, out, these were hour-long episodes, broadcast television, very you know, very familiar to us today. Still, shows are released in this format. Um, but then you know throughout the 90s, the show it it left ABC eventually. 
it went to what was then the family channel, which ironically today is Freeform. There's a whole lineage of that network, but this right. is the story there. Um, and once it got to the family channel, I think they realized, you know, there's some con there's some continuity here. There's a desire for connectivity, and that is when they started making these as television films instead of episodes. And this is a format that probably even then was starting to go away. You know, it, it, that was definitely not the heyday of the TV movie, but it was more common than it is today. And you yeah. would produce a film to air in a 90, you know, 90 minutes, to air in a two hour block, more or less structured so that if someone did tune in in the middle because they didn't know there was a TV movie on that, that night, they could know what was going on. You know, they tended to make these films not like a like a theatrical film, but more like maybe a little bit of resolution at the halfway, and then we're going to introduce some more story so that people can tune in in the middle. And yeah. you see that in the couple, certainly that were produced for the Family Channel, the, some of the later ones. And then what they ended up doing was saying, hey, we're going to go back, we're going to re-edit all of these episodes into this format. And in doing so, they, they removed the bookends uh, and they packaged them together. And, and that's when I encountered them on VHS in 99 in that format, not even knowing, honestly, I had not seen the series in 92. There were some tie-in novels that I had read as a younger kid, so I knew about young Indiana Jones, but yeah. I didn't know about old Indiana Jones. I didn't even know that those changes were made at that time. Yeah. I just watched these tapes. Yeah, and I, I did a very similar thing. And, you know, I think I, I'd like to talk a bit about the reasons for this leading up to it. I, I think um, it's it's a fascinating thing to look back on in terms of the release of the series. The show, as I said, had a big radiant splash when it first came out, a lot of people were interested in it. Um, the first season, though, consists of only six episodes, and then it goes on the summer hiatus. Uh, and when it picks back up again, um, it has a very staggered release pattern. Uh, it's really only a few episodes here and there coming out on ABC, so it's very difficult to form a kind of lasting uh, a viewership and relationship with the viewers because everyone's just like, well, we don't know when it's on. And by the end of the series, by the end of the second season of the show, the show is literally just getting released in the summer, uh, sometimes like Saturday mornings or even just like Saturday, like 2, 2 a.m. or whatever. I believe, as I recall, the second episode of the series was like preempted by some sports event or whatever. So it's like it was a, it was a show that was plagued by a lot of uh, release pattern issues that just made it very difficult for fans to even find the show to begin with. So the show gets canceled by ABC after the after the second season. The writing had been on the wall, I think, for a little while. But in the classic George Lucas tradition, he had prepared so many scripts already leading up to the shows, even before the show had even started filming. He was just like, we want to have a lot of scripts written, a lot of pre-production work written to try to expedite the situation. This is a similar thing you see with the Clone Wars later on. Um, he was a big believer in like, well, let's do the work before we even sell the thing. Um, and so the show gets canceled, but he's just, he is such a believer in the show that he's just, he can't let it go. And so he, even though I, I hope we can uncover some of the details for this later, but my outsider perspective on it right now is like, he is essentially believes in the show so much, he's willing to take the financial hit on it and produce for uh, made for TV movies that do go to to the family network, which even there it has a bit of a weird release pattern. The, uh, the three movies come out in fairly close, um, fairly close proximity to each other but even then it's not like a once a month format or even once a week it's kind of like once every couple of months here and there and then the final episode which is the uh 
Travels with Father episode, uh, which is uh, one with Corey Carrier, like that comes out nearly nine months after the previous one. And it just sort of like pops in and then it's gone. And um, well, so let's it, remind people how difficult it was to know what was on TV back then. Yes. You couldn't absolutely. go online and look up when is the next young Indiana Jones movie coming out. You had to read the TV yeah. guide, maybe your local paper. And you were lucky if they covered it, if anybody in your in your paper cared about this sort of thing. Yeah. So this and, is effectively buried in a haystack. It's like needles in yeah. haystacks. Well, and for people like you and me, right, it's like we didn't read TV Guide. <laughs> like we just expected things to be on because it was on this time last week. Right. And if it's not there, then we just think it's not there anymore and we move on. Right. And. So it's a very difficult show. But even then, uh, Lucas isn't willing to let this go. And so he starts to think, like, we can repackage these as uh, made-for-TV movies and hopefully find more success um, on the uh, on the home video market of VHS at the time, which was a still a booming financial revenue source for a lot of people. Um, so he films a lot of new footage uh, and 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 to kind of like interstitial these two episodes together because he would take two episodes that maybe yeah. were not intended to be put together and yeah. shoot scenes that would bridge the narratives and as if you watch all of these some of them work really well and some of them work less well right but they yeah. all do the job which is yeah. which is you could watch you sit down you watch it and it's going to take you from a to b and yeah. i think the last one he shot which is in the first movie ironically yeah. Uh, was during the Phantom Menace. It was 1997 yeah. in Tunisia, and there's a scene with young Indy and his teacher on this hill, you know, on the top yeah. of a sand dune, basically, talking to Lawrence of Arabia, who's a bit of a recurring character in the show. Yeah. And that was all shot in 97. And what's crazy is one of the actors who is in that episode is the villain. He's in two episodes. He's in the, the what is now the first film, and then the sixth film. He was mm. in Raiders. Right, he's the villain at the beginning of Raiders of the Lost Ark, the actor, not the character. Right, right. And so, not only is he in Raiders, not only is he in Young Indiana Jones, but this is 1997. This is 16 years after Raiders. He is still working, essentially, with George <laughs> Lucas in the desert in Tunisia. Like, is this ever going to end? Am I just going to yeah. be here? You know? <laughs> well, it's, it's funny you say that, too, because it's. I think a lot of people only think George Lucas ever really did Star Wars and maybe kind of, like, helped Steven out with indie or whatever, but it's like, no, this guy was incredibly busy on so many various projects and especially this series too. He didn't have to do this, right? It's like, he felt this need though. He believed in the series and was kept working on it, even as the prequels were uh, hugely in production and as they were in production and, you know, Jonathan Hales, who's one of the big screenwriters on the series and wrote all of the interstitials as well. Like he also wrote uh, attack of the clones. And so you see this like, um, uh, kind of repertory Lucasfilm, you know, cast and crew working on the series. And something we're also going to talk about a lot as time goes on, too, is just how, like, Young Indy is kind of a, a proving ground in a way for the uh, for the prequel films. A lot of the ca a lot of the crew who worked on Young Indy would then uh, become the crew uh, of, of the Star Wars prequels. Well, thematically as well, you know, you have the, the, the first little less than a third, perhaps, but almost a third of the narrative following this young boy, right? Who it feels very much like the choice to follow Anakin in The Phantom Menace as a young boy. And then yeah. Sean Patrick Finery feels quite similar in style to Anakin, Hayden Christensen, The it Time does, Jump. Yeah. You, you can see some of these ideas that, that Lucas clearly has in his mind. In fact, the episode, which I believe, no, Hales did not write um, because it was I believe, Rosemary Ann, I don't know if it's Sisson or Sison, I don't know how you pronounce the name. 
But the second episode of, that was aired, with Elizabeth, which features Elizabeth Hurley and the love story mm-hmm. between Elizabeth Hurley and young Indiana Jones, that feels a lot like the ro- sort of the romantic subplot in Attack of the Clones. You know, they're out in the countryside, there's a war, there's just sort of other things going on that maybe are in the way of their relationship, yet yeah. they are sort of drawn together. It's it's odd, actually. I mean, I, obviously, he you know, these are all, he's influencing himself to a degree. But yes. um, but it's 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 all kind of there, and it's it's uh, something we've talked about a bit offline. But I, I, I'm fascinated to do a whole episode on is, is kind of the 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 failed romances of of indie. And uh, so it's one of the greatest running subplots of the series. There's a handful, right? And the romance plot, like he's constantly falling in love or dating the wrong woman, whether she's a traitor or she's just, you know, too innocent and can't handle his worldliness or, you know, fill in the blank, but it never goes well. My parents would say that what we did last night was a sin. Do you think that it was? I don't know. I just know I love you. It, it's it's I, I honestly wonder if it was conscious or not, because as you say, it's like he's falling in love with these just gorgeous women. I mean, just just like perfect, like any of them. It's just like, God damn, you can't help but fall in love with them. But each one of them just like bails on him in favor of like a larger ideal. Oh, and you, you're kind of like, oh, I kind of get why he's so jaded by the time you get to, hmm. to Raiders, where it's just like he's just he's not he's not having it for anybody. You know, and I never it's... it never occurred to me that they all desert him. You're right. It feels You're, like to, it. To, I mean, to a degree, there's exceptions. Degree, degree. One of them yeah. gets killed. It's such kind of a sad episode. That's fair. Um, you know, he does. He proposes marriage twice. One yes. is accepted, right? Yep. Um, and it does feel like you're right, though. There's a lot of others where he's chasing, and you know, something's not right. I do love the scandal of the 1920 when he dates yes. three women at the same time, <laughs> and they all reject him for that reason, right? Yes. I, you know, <laughs> essentially. Like, can't you at least give one of them up? But which one? Not Peggy. Not Kate. Not Gloria. Her old man's backing the show. So that makes <laughs> sense. But yeah, I guess I guess you're absolutely right. But I think it's different enough each time that it never like hit me as like, oh, this is a trope. You know, it was. Yeah. It, it's it's entertaining. It's very entertaining, and it does harken back to classic Hollywood storytelling too, where it's you know each new B movie your lead has a different romantic interest, um, or if it is the same romantic interest, it's never you know consummated or anything like that. So it's it's uh, it, it goes back to right where Lucas is is uh, you know where his passion for film comes from. Um, but it is just interesting to think about, and it would be interesting as we t- hopefully we'll talk to many of the writers on the show to talk about was this ever a conversation in the room? Like, yes. it, can Indy never actually fall, fall madly in love with someone? No, we should do an fine. episode on the loves of Indiana Jones and like really all should. the all the little outcomes. Like, it just occurred to me, Nancy, who's his first girlfriend, yeah. literally marries his bully. His right? bully. So <laughs> <laughs> terrible. It's so terrible. Uh, I really, I really dug that episode too. It was uh, uh, Princeton, nineteen sixteen, yeah, or ni- 1915? 1916. It's very like Hardy Boys esque. It's very Hardy Boys. It's just very kind of innocent in a way. And, Joe Johnston uh, directs, of course, Captain America: Joe The Johnson. Rocketeer. Yeah, exactly. And uh, was that a Darabont script? I, I think it was Hales. Act. No, I think it, okay. That, that makes it sense. It was either Hales or Jacobs. Actually, it was Jacobs. It was okay. uh, because, and I, I think I heard it. He gave a very good interview. And I believe he talked about that episode. Oh, great. Um, Very cool. But yeah, Hales wrote the second half of that. Because that, that's right. with, that's now, it's Spring Break Adventure. So yes. Princeton is now with Mexico. And Hales wrote Mexico. Yeah. And I think Jacob. Yeah. 
Yeah. Which is a, a bit of a jarring twist where Indy has this really nice kind of innocent Hardy Boys mystery. And then he's off to Mexico to hook up with some hookers. And then it's... Uh, Which, then by it's the way, fun. that to me, that plot, he is, he totally goes to try to... It is weird that like, I'm, you know what, I, I have a girlfriend, but I'm going to go on spring break and meet some, meet some ladies yeah, of the night. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> I feel like that's very much brought out in the interstitials. It I'm is. not no, no, sure it yeah. it's in the original. And that's an interesting choice. So again, if we could get Hales to ask him, like, like why introduce that element sort of retroactively? I think like it, it, if so, I just rewatched this recently, yeah. and like as now as an adult, like you, you, it, it, as a kid, you just accept these things as you know. You don't really see the interstitials as much, but now as an adult, and you're seeing it on the your, your you know, your clean HD TV or whatever, you can kind of tell the age differences from people oh, a yeah. lot. Oh yeah. So like you can it. it it seems like when they when when Indy and his cousin I'm forgetting his name now but when they enter the the town in Mexico that's kind of where you're entering the the original episode yes. so they're definitely aware that they're there for a good that's time that's true because he says you know any hot spots or whatever you know any it's hot just spots, I think yeah. it's way more explicit because in the interstitial is, he yeah. literally says it's a bordello like he says <laughs> those words I don't he think does. anyone said that in the broadcast version it was, it was a little more I implied. think you're right I think you're right yeah and it's uh, I didn't know what a bordello point, was by the way when I first saw true. that and I had to look that up and I, I learned <laughs> I learned what that was thanks to George Lucas and yeah we have so much to thank that man for (laughs) (laughs) yeah so um that kind of wraps up the series the series was released of these made for tv movies on vhs and at the time they were uh released in a very interesting format they were released as like the the indiana jones saga i think is what it was called and it was literally like volumes one through 24 i want to say 25 and the 20 uh three four and five were the movies right so you it, it was an interesting way to release it george was definitely saying like we want to push that indie that young indie is is canon uh and deserves to be enjoyed well and it was oh. at the time you know vhs if you had the indie films they were four three crop so like at, that yeah. was probably the moment at which the series and the films looked most like each other you know if you did yeah. have them and you had them on your shelf they were in the same boxes and that was nice i'm not i'm grateful that we can enjoy the films and 4k and have them remastered and all that you know um and and now as a result of that the similarities are are less i think um i'd I'd agree i'd agree but it's uh but um and then yeah i mean the show uh has its run on vhs and then it is released on dvd in 2008 um which are really good sets and there's a lot of uh, uh wonderful documentaries that were produced by lucasfilm uh to kind of be companion pieces to the series kind of talking about the actual real life history uh that went into the episode and they're very extensive documentaries too they're uh well what's crazy too is those dvds came out in 2007 and 8 there were certain episodes about almost half actually the series was not released on vhs you know they released it on vhs and the hopes of doing a full release i think sales probably were not what they were hoping they would be or we need them to be to produce the others so that meant the dvd release was the first time some of these were available on home video certainly first time i saw them you know the matahari episode the franz kafka episode all the little kid in episodes, actually. None of those were oh, released really? on VHS. Interesting. Interesting. So, so that made for interesting context. The series does a great job of referencing itself, notably yeah. because it was written and produced out of order. In other words, if yeah. you watch them now and you stream them or DVD them, they're presented in chronological order. That is not yeah. how they were produced. So yeah. they literally wrote references into scripts about things that they hadn't shot yet. 
you know and i love yeah. that they toss the story you know yeah i love that too and it, it's a it's a tragedy in a way because there are times where they reference episodes that were never produced and uh yeah, I hope that's another thing we can talk about as the series goes on as well is kind of these lost episodes of Young Indy because there were scripts written for for not only for more episodes of 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 the series as we know it to kind of uh, uh, connect up some episodes, but also episodes that would tie in more to the movies. Mm-hmm. Um, you were going to have episodes where Indy meets uh, Renee Belloc, who is the villain in Raiders. You were going to have episodes where he meets um, Abner Ravenwood, who is the the father of of uh, Marion Ravenwood, who becomes kind of the 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 romantic uh, interest of the films as well. And uh, it was going to become, in a way, more of the Indiana Jones that we we know and love from the movies as the series goes on, which is is kind of the big tragedy of the series too is that like in a way it's mirrored in in the history of of the clone wars series mm-hmm. which yes. um if anything is is now considered probably the most popular piece of star wars media of the last you know 20 i don't know, I don't know 15 years let's say mm-hmm. um it, uh and yet, when it first came out, a lot of people, it was very divisive. A lot of people were like, well, what is this? We don't, you know, this is terrible. And and uh, both George and, and Dave Filoni were like, you need to see the whole picture before you can really appreciate it. And they were right. And now that we've seen most of the whole picture, there's still some episodes that were never produced. But as you can see, most of the whole picture, um, fans can't, you know, we're now, re- when we're recording this, there's literally a Ahsoka TV show that just came out, which is, you know, literally a sequel to the Clone yeah. Wars and would never have happened if it wasn't for for uh, the, the commitment to the series and commitment to a vision. Well, you got to think about the Clone Wars, you know, if they had never made it to season five, if let's say it was a three season show, you would be wondering, you know, what would that have been? But like the best episodes were basically yeah. the ones that wouldn't have been produced. And yeah. you have to think that for Young Indy too, is although they did, they really did do a lot with what they had. And I think that they they accomplished a lot with the narrative that they set up. You know, you mentioned the Belloc, there was gonna be an episode about Crystal Skulls, actually there was, the, yeah. the idea for the movie sort of originates as, a, as an episode of the show, right? Yeah. You know, there was gonna be more episodes in the war that we didn't see, some of which are referenced, like their training, uh, Indy escaping from Germany, you know, uh, and I think he was going to meet Ravenwood in Jerusalem. And I feel like there is a line in one of the episodes, might be Daredevils of the Desert, but where he says something about how I've been to Jerusalem, I went to a dig. I think he says, like, I went, I've been on digs in, yeah. like, Egypt and Jerusalem, right? Yeah. And that's a reference to the Ravenwood episode. Yeah, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think like part of the reason he even has the job in Daredevils of the Desert is like he's very familiar with the region. Like he's this isn't his first time in when the language. In... Henry, wherever you go, whatever countries you visit, learn the language. It's the key that unlocks everything. The most important thing of all. And that's yeah. an important thing, like actually. That. One of the most important little again subplots in the show. In the yeah. very first episode, you know, Ned Lawrence tells him. No matter what country you go to, whatever people you would learn the language, that's the key to, to connection. Yeah. And so they set that up in the show. And so by the time he is in the war, you know, he speaks German, he speaks French, he speaks Spanish, he speaks Turkish and Arabic and all these languages that he's learned. I've joined the Belgian army. The Belgian army? Vous parlez français alors? Oui, tu le parles couramment. Wirklich? Sie werden mir gleich noch sagen, dass Sie auch Deutsch sprechen. Yeah, 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 naturally. Expert, you feel a sprachen. Anche l'italiano, no? Se si parla il francese e lo spagnolo, l'italiano non è poi difficile imparare. 
And by the way, if you ever see Indiana Jones in a film, uh, he does speak the language, <laughs> and he doesn't need anyone to translate Arabic for him. Elogia, el Arabia, hia elogia, ta almatuha andama, tihiptu ila al kahira. Yes. Because he speaks it anyway. Exactly. Um, <laughs> fluently. You know, fluently. But, <laughs> you know, it might be a superpower. Like, I, I understand it's far fetched, but I feel like you watch the show and you just accept, no, he can speak that language. That's just yeah. part of it. You know, and I, I think in a way, it, it it's a wonderful way for Lucas to, to, to talk about the theme that he loves to talk about, which is empathy, right? And like in learning a language of a region, you are forced to kind of empathize with the people there and force empathize with the culture there. And it's wonderful to see kind of the trajectory of the show, too, because in a way, even though Indy has high adventures and he goes through all this stuff, it's really examining different philosophies as well. Like, it's not something as simple as, as just, like, here's an adventure show or, or, you know, here's, let's just do a lecture about, you know, ancient Egypt or whatever. Like, there's such a large philosophical uh, bent to each episode, which is something we really miss, I think, from a lot of today's show and a lot of occasional movies, you know, like, Indy, Indy 5. Well, oh, that's, well, and that's why I'm, that's something I'm, I'm not, like, I'm excited to do this podcast, and I know that we could do an episode on every episode because there is something to talk about, yeah. you know, more than just plot and all, but, like, there's there's meat on it. It's saying interesting things about our culture, about Western culture or, or Eastern culture in some episodes' cases, you know, and the characters, you know, you, you, you we've been talking a lot about the, uh, the little kid ones is what I call them. I don't know what yeah. they call. I don't yeah. know what it's called. But you know, there's the one where Indy's mother, you know, basically has an affair with Puccini. And yeah. yes, I know he's a historical figure, and maybe there's a silliness to that. But the relationship is compelling, and you see the conflict and how someone who was, you know, uh, essentially a Victorian era good wife could feel drawn to another man and then feel conflicted about that, you know. And you yeah. don't see that in in television. You don't, and I, 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 I'm not even sure I've seen it really today. And like, it's, it's, it's such a compelling episode uh, to watch now. I think as an adult, especially because it's like his mother is not presented as villainous in any way. Like, there's a tragedy to it in a way because she, I think she might actually her herself might actually be happier if she was with this other guy, and yet she's the conflict is like she can't just think about that. She has mm -hmm. a son. Uh, you know, she has her own responsibilities to, to her, you know, or our feelings of devotion, I guess, to her husband. And she lives in a culture. And, and the show culture, yes. deals with that many times. You yeah. know, there's that episode where Indy falls in love with the older woman, right? Yeah. And yeah. the whole thing about how, well, it's not like society won't allow this. Yeah. This is not okay. Yeah. You can't be with an older woman. It's not done. Maybe one day it'll be acceptable, you know? <laughs> And like you could argue, it's still something that people are it's uncomfortable taboo, with. Yeah, you know, it's even though it's, taboo, it might be yeah. more 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 free, perhaps than the, than we were in the nineteen twenties. You know, it's still that stigma is still there. And and I think he's he's making a comment. I'm gonna I'm gonna interpret it. You know, that we are subject to cultural pressures yeah. that are not really real. You know, but we yeah. just accept. And the yeah. same thing with his mother feeling like I have to be with a man who neglects my emotional needs and is not yeah. there for me as a husband. But he's my husband. And the rules are I have to be here. And, you know, Indiana Jones can't date an older woman because it's society just says no. You know, and, yeah. and Lucas is kind of saying, you know, you're shackling yourself. You know, you, agree, you, yeah. you put that limitation on yourself. 
Yeah, and this is something he comes back to again and again throughout all of his films and all of his projects. Really, is is how much of our uh, how much of our society kind of creates a prison around ourselves, right? And how sometimes that that cage or whatever can even cause us to do very villainous things. And Indy, in a way, you could are and I mean, we'll do many many episodes about this, I'm sure. But like Indy, in a way, is the one character that almost exists outside of that, mm. right? Like he he always is kind of that. Um, uh, within a society, but always very separate from a society as well. Like he, he lives by his own rules in a way. He's, the, he's the traveler, you know, he's, he's the, the, the Odysseus, yeah. the Jonathan Swift idea of like, yeah. he's moving through these situations. He's a witness to them. He's getting involved, yeah. but he always moves on. Right. Always like moves at on. the end, yeah. he's never lives in any of these places. Even at home, he runs yeah. away, you know? Yeah. Which, you know, again, it's like both the, 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 uh, uh, what am I looking for? It's it's the it's the ecstasy, but also like the 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 um, the the tragedy of the character, yes. right? Where it's like he is free in a way that many of us will never actually experience, but that also makes him very reluctant to uh, commit. You know, mm -hmm. he does. I mean, as we've seen in the movies that were produced by Lucas, he, he's not with Marion when he probably should have been with Marion, and then yeah. uh, he ends up finding Marion again and, and does commit to it and. Uh, you know, the less said about what they do with Indy 5, maybe the better. But, well, it's, and, uh, but you, you have you to know. look at, you know, Lucas as a storyteller and, you know, one day there'll be more books about this, but there's a certain autobiographical elements to a lot of his work. Absolutely. And yeah. you look, you, you already, of course, addressed the fact that, you know, he has all these women abandoning him for an idea. And I think there's, there's something of Lucas's story in that or, yeah. or the way he feels about his story. But then, you know, his, his, his inability to find the right person or perhaps to chase the person. I mean, you know, he had relationships throughout the you know the 80s and 90s that yeah. obviously did not you know they, they ended and i think yeah. i think some of that i frankly the fact that the show presents indiana jones with this palpable yearning for love this sort of yeah. chasing after it compulsively yeah. it does yeah. i think that tells you something about lucas's mindset on the subject i think he relates to that in some way i think so i, I completely agree i think it um and that's the other thing I think worth talking about too with this series is that like there's a lack, even though it deals with very serious topics, uh, World War One, very serious ways, his you know love life, but also like the amount of people around him that die, um, and yet through it all there's a lack of cynicism to it all. Mm -hmm. It is a very uh, optimistic kind of show, in a in a way that I, I find just immensely rewatchable. Yeah, and. Um, and if anything, like that's kind of why we're doing this podcast is we just, we want to talk about it more. <laughs> well, uh, and we want people to discover it. You know, it is rewatchable. It's, it's of the highest quality. It deserves discussion and consideration. And frankly, it just feels like people don't know about it. You know, you can, you can listen to any film podcast that you like. And if, if you're lucky, you get a passing mention of it. And how can yeah. this show that is connected to one of the most popular and successful film franchises of all time, adjacent to the most popular film franchise yeah. of all time. And yet it somehow is a foot, not even a footnote in all these conversations, you know, and there are obviously shared rights issues and, you know, a couple yeah. of different hands in the pot that might get in the way of, of the marketing of it. I, I understand like it's, it's not really a Disney thing. It's not really a Paramount thing. It's not really Lucas, like it's very vague and, and how would you even present it? But the material is good and I feel like there should the fans should take ownership and it deserves fans and and they should be the ones out there talking about it and writing about it and podcasting about it and all that 
Yeah, and very well said. And I, I think, if anything, that's kind of our main uh, motivation. Well, we have two motivations, I think, for doing this. And I think one is we want to draw attention to to the show, as you just said, but also we want to kind of uncover more about it. We're kind of we kind of see ourselves as, as being amateur archaeologists ourselves in this matter because the show came out and uh, exists in, in, in during a time when there you know there was a few behind the scenes moments to it there was there was a, a couple of short you know George talks about it briefly but it came out so uh, uh, you know the the life of the show in a way was so short that it doesn't quite have the behind the scenes knowledge as you know something like Star Wars or Star Trek or uh, and for us I think we both think of it as being a show that that deserves that and deserves that kind of more awareness of how it was made, who made it, and celebrate uh, the people who made this this really remarkable work of art. Well, then we have questions, you and I, and, and we're yeah. looking at something that clearly has intent, passion, and effort put into it. And so we want to know the answers to those questions because we know there are some. Like, we know there is a reason he chose to convert them all to movies of the week and shoot new footage, right? Like, and yeah. I don't mean like a logical reason, but I mean like, why did he do it? What was important to him about it? You know, and yeah. where did he get the idea? You know, yeah. was he inspired by something to do this? Did he see something on TV and was like, oh, you know, if we just did, like, like, where did that even come from? And and had there been, as you said, you know, interviews or, or documentaries at the time, maybe someone would have asked him, but there wasn't. And so yeah. we don't have access to that information. And, and the best way we can think of to find it is try to find people who were in the room, you know, when it happened, to quote the popular uh, music. Yeah, and uh, we feel like the time is right right now. I mean, the show is is uh, currently celebrating its 30th year of its run. I mean, it premiered in 1992, and you know, it's uh, I guess 30 years since it's been canceled this year. But um, but it's um, you know, the the time is is right, and it just came out on Disney Disney Plus. There's a bit of a re uh, a new found awareness to the series, but um, we feel like it deserves a bit more. And to talk to the people who were there, because you know, as time does pass, and um, a lot of people are maybe no longer with us who who had been there, and those that are still there. Um, you know, this is the time to get their stories and to hear more about it. And it feels like we're in a new era now, you know, yeah. like we're, we're beyond this era. There's, there's Disney plus shows, there's new star Wars stuff, new Indiana Jones movie. Right. And the, the era that young Indy was in feels something from the past. And yeah. so I think it's okay to, to explore it frankly and openly. Like certainly I don't think any, no one's feeling going to be hurt for you saying it was canceled because of bad scheduling, you know, like that's, that yeah, doesn't yeah. cause a problem for anybody, but it might've 20 years ago, you know, Absolutely. maybe you couldn't say that. Yeah. So uh, hopefully we can have an honest conversation about the show and, um, and see where that, you know, maybe set the record, right? Like set the yeah. official record on the show. Absolutely. Um, so Daniel, like what, as we go forward with a series, you know, our hope is to get everyone, anyone and everyone that we can from the show. Um, but what are some of your hopes? Like what's, what's, what are your white whales for the, the show? Like, what are you, what are you really looking forward to with this podcast? I would love to learn again about the re-edits and the interstitials and, and the thought behind that. I'd love to know more about the plans for the, you know, the unproduced episodes, particularly the sort of mid narrative ones like I, i've heard mm -hmm. a lot about the crystal skull and the belloc but like i know that there are sort of missing pieces in what we have yeah. and i would love to know about those and what the plans were um and just you know at what point i mean if i could ask george lucas any question i'd be like yeah when did you sort of know you were done making young indie Mm, you know, and yeah, then what, yeah. what did that realization lead you to do? Like, maybe that's when you decided to shoot the interstitials. Like, you know what? I'm done. I'm not yeah. going to make any more. So instead let's, you know, 
let's patch some holes and and yeah. and get it ready, right? Um, I know that they shot two episodes purely for the home video release, right? Like, yeah. I'd love to know about that. Like, why those? What was you know again? What was the thought there? And uh, actually, both some of the strongest, I think. I, I think yeah. they wanted this with the two best hours of the show. So. Uh, again, like those are the things I'd like to know. I think we've mentioned this before, maybe offline, that there's a bit of documentation on the beginning of the show, you know, yep. where the show came from and the ideas behind it. There was a publicity push. There were several books. There was some, some research. Nothing on the end and nothing on sort of like the transition to the family channel, like you talked about it. Yep. Those things and the change of the life of the show. And uh, and hopefully we can, we can get some of those answers. I, I agree. And I think... Um... You know, to to your point, I mean, getting some of those ants. You know, because I, I, for me, I honestly wonder if George was thinking like these interstitials will help us keep the show alive. Like, I really wonder if even in like two thousand one, two thousand two, he was still thinking, I'm going to go back to Young Indy one day and do more. Because like for him, I think more so than any other filmmaker um, out there, uh, nothing was ever truly finished until obviously he retired. But like. Uh, you find his projects and ideas kept coming back for him in ways. And you got to wonder if like, maybe when he came to terms with the fact that like, no, I'm actually not coming back to young Indy. Like maybe that's when he really started doubling down on Indy four. Um, who knows? Like it's, these are question marks that uh, I'd love to find out as well. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like, was he thinking would he recast, you know, like in 2008, when he has the reference to young Indian crystal skull and he's releasing yeah. the DVD, is he thinking this movie could be a hit and I'll, I'll cast a new actor to play young Indiana Jones, you know, and <laughs> I would love to know that. I bet, I bet that was in his mind as a possibility. It wouldn't shock me at all. Absolutely. I mean, this is a guy who like the only project he, uh, never got made that he really wanted to get made was Apocalypse Now. Like literally everything else that he'd ever like wanted to do. Going back to 1972, he basically made it. And um, Red Tails, Radio Red Land Murders. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, honestly, I'd do. I'd love us to do an episode on Radio Land Murders. I've never seen it. We should do oh, it. I'll watch fun, it, man. and it that'll fun. be the episode. It feels like a uh, an indie uh, tan you know, spinoff episode. Yeah, it, it's awesome. great. It's great. Um, but it is using a lot of that same technology yeah. of like the composite shots. Um, Rick McCallum's involved, so it, it, I think there's there's enough logic for us to or enough reasons for us to do uh, do an episode on that. But um, uh, but yeah, I mean, again, for me, like echoing what you said, um, you know, more knowledge about the end of the series, um, a little more from the hindsight too. It'd be great to get. Uh, uh, you know, some of the original actors on to talk about like, you know, now that you've had some distance, like, what do you really think about the show? I mean, we've, we've heard from some people that, you know, Sean, Sean Patrick Flannery wasn't too keen on the series after it ended because it wasn't quite the career boost. That... But now that time has gone on, it's like, how, how do you feel about it? You know, like what, what's your relationship to the show now? Um, and, and definitely those unproduced episodes. I, I hope we can, I'd love to get my hands on those scripts. Cause those are, I, I, I just love unproduced content. That's uh, grails in a way. I always love finding out like what could have been. That's crazy. Cause I was just thinking about guest stars I'd love to have. And I was making a list in my head and I realized so many of these names are like A-listers that we yeah. can't, we can't get cause they're too successful. You know, like yeah. Elizabeth Hurley, Catherine Zeta Jones, Daniel Craig. I'm like, Daniel Oh yeah, no, Craig. we're not going to get them. Like, <laughs> They're not going to come on the podcast, you no, know. It's the amount of guest stars. I mean, we're going to have multiple episodes just about the guest stars of Young Indy because, like, they are huge A-listers. Sometimes, you know, we're just like starting out. Catherine Zeta-Jones, uh, Daniel Craig. Daniel Craig literally plays just like kind of a 
uh, I don't know, a, a German. He's, know, a, he's a Nazi before the Nazis. He's, he's like not a pre, before the he's Nazi. He's a pre-Nazi. You know? He's not even. It's not even like a like a featured guest starring role. He's just sort of there, and it's because it was just a job, and he was starting out. But it's like you see him, and it's just like, yeah, that's Daniel. Daniel fucking Craig. That's uh, well. Yeah. I heard an interview. I might have been with Matthew Jacobs because I don't think Frank Darabont was interviewed, but they talked about that episode. And actually, and this isn't even about the interstitial. This is more like the broadcast version. Yeah. Um, the fight between Daniel Craig and Flannery was a reshoot because oh, the original ending was actually Catherine Zeta-Jones was going to flip the switch and Indy shows up and, and shoots her, right? Ah, and it's yeah. kind of like an emotional moment. But apparently Lucas and, and, the, and the director and everyone, or it was the director, it was Simon Winsor, I was giving mm. the interview. He was like, we were in the editing room and he, we were all kind of like, it does, it's, it's missing something. And he goes, George was like, he needs to come in and there needs to be like a big fight. <laughs> and they're like, okay, can we get the, we'll get the actor, for, we'll get the actor from the German. And they just shot in a small set in Prague, like the fight, you know, they wow. rebuilt the set a little bit, you know, and Mate. it's a great fight. I mean, it's, it's, it's right. TV, but it's, it's a knockout, knockdown, drag out fight. And, and it, it, it cuts in well with like the other action and it builds the it tension. Does. And I can't, you really want it. Like it would totally be a letdown if, if that wasn't the ending, you know? I agree. I mean, I, I remember that ending very well. That was always my favorite episode, and that just goes back to speak to to the the, the, the power of George in a way. Because like most other you know studios or whatever, they just be like, well, it is what it is, and you know, you had four days to shoot, and now you're done, and we're gonna move on. And yet George was always just like, now we can always make this better, and you know, uh, uh, and that I think is just a wonderful, wonderful perspective on on art. And um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's stuff like that that I just I hope we can talk about at great length. And who knows? You know, I, I really hope that because of this, because we're not doing a Star Wars podcast, because we're not doing something that everyone has talked about, you know, so many times, uh, maybe we'll be able to get some of these guys on here who maybe otherwise wouldn't do an interview. You know, I'd, I'd love to get Rick McCallum on here. Um, I mean, fuck, who knows? Absolutely. Maybe, Absolutely. maybe we can get George. Who knows? We'll just... <laughs> that's, my, that's my white whale. You asked that's me what my white whale. whale, George Lucas, about George the show he Lucas. created. Yes. It's created by George Lucas. I would love that. We, we need the creator of the show on the podcast. We do. And, uh, you know, he's, he's not doing much these days. He's, you know, we'll just uh, give maybe, him a call. Maybe he'll promote, well, he'll promote his new museum. <laughs> and we'll be like, we'd like you to do this podcast interview to promote your museum. Yes. But it's about young Indiana Jones. But it's about young Indy. I, you know, who knows? I mean, who knows? This is... Uh, uh, but anyway, yeah. So uh, for listeners out there, we hope you'll join us on this on this journey. Um, yeah, we're going to be talking about. We'll do episodes that are about specific topics. We'll do episodes that are interviews with people. We'll do episodes that are commentaries as well. I think uh, each one uh, has many uh, opportunities for fascinating conversations, and um, it will probably be a, a guest. You know, we'll have a guest on each week, and we'll be uh, uh, talking and, and delving more into this uh, topic of. And uh, I encourage you guys to go watch the show. It's on Disney Plus as we're recording. I, we don't know how long it will be there, so take advantage of this time. Yes. Um, it's again great quality. Uh, you can watch it in order. You don't have to, to be honest. Yeah. I think that it's the, it was obviously shot out of order. The episodes largely stand alone. If you see a particularly interesting title or description or guest star, watch that episode. Don't feel like you have to start at the beginning. If 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 maybe the little kid episodes are not for you, you know, uh, Trenches of Hell is a great episode, a war episode. There are two things that separate the first-rate soldier and the second-rate soldier. The first-rate soldier gets up when he's knocked down. 
And the first-rate soldier knows that anything can be accomplished. Anything can be accomplished if you work together. Daredevils of the Desert, we mentioned, has Daniel Craig, Catherine Zeta-Jones, people like that one. An attack on Beersheba means crossing the desert. There's not a drop of water between here and there. Keep your mouth shut! It's too late, spy! Your little charade is now truly exposed. There's a number of great up scandal in 1920, like I mentioned, with yeah. the three girls. Very different. Musical. You know, that's a, that's a fad now. Everyone's doing musicals. <laughs> What's up? I need you. What? Well, Daddy's out of town, and I'm all alone, and I'm so afraid. Please come over and rescue me. Well, that was like a Gershwin Broadway musical, and oh, Joel McNeely, the composer, won an Emmy for that score, yeah. right? So yeah. there's plenty, plenty for everybody. Yeah, each you know each episode has its own kind of genre. There's even a spy, some spy episodes. There's if you have kids, you know the kids episodes or the young indie episodes are great. They're very educational. Um, they sh can show your kids a new new aspect of, of the world that they're not going to get um, from outside their backyard. We hope you'll follow us on Instagram at Young Indie Pod and on your podcast app of choice. I hope you guys will, will rate us five stars and join us on this journey here. Next time on the Young Indie Chroniclers, we're thrilled to have screenwriter Matthew Jacobs. Well, certainly with Hollywood Follies, you're watching Indie come up with the stunts that he does in Raiders. Well, I love what you said about the loss of innocence. I never thought of that as the theme of the show. He is given this very fundamental philosophy, anything that promotes life is good and anything that, that takes away from life is bad the love story in hollywood folly it's incredibly contemporary like every hollywood relationship that sounds crazy it's very meta it really is it's a super show